The Be True Chronicles by J.S. Blue Chapter 6 Clarity and Purpose Part 1 The force of Colonel Rise's small fireball explosion had indeed thrown Beetru into the river, but it had also thrown Brick hard against the riverbank, knocking him unconscious. He'd been left behind by everyone as the entire battalion had left the area in pursuit of Beetru. He awoke with a fierce headache and aching body. He'd been fortunate to come to rest, feet down, after falling unconscious, as it gets harder and harder for older turtles to flip themselves over when they find themselves upside down. He looked around for Beetru and the Firehorns, but they were gone. What happened to Beetru after the explosion? Brick wondered. He had no idea that she'd been thrown into the river by the blast or that she'd evaded capture. He began to worry that she'd been knocked unconscious like him and captured by Rise and his battalion. He was perplexed, unsure what to do next. It had been many years since he'd been involved in as much activity as he had once Beecho arrived at the riverbank. He'd been content as an old hermit, far removed from the battles that raged between Queen Cosima, the Red Scourge, and the Chairman, for so many years that he'd forgotten how much he used to care about the outcome of these struggles. Life had been easy and carefree by the riverbank in the middle of the Great Plain. He'd grown fully complacent, but Beetru had stoked a fire in him. I must find Beetru before she falls into the chairman's clutches, asserted Brick. But he needed a plan, and to this point, he had no such plan. He needed to restore his gadgets. Yes, with his gadgets he could certainly help, but he hadn't used them in years, and all required extensive repair. In the distance, Brick could hear voices, most likely Colonel Rise but he was too far away and too low to the ground to decipher any of them. He was also too low to the ground to see anything down the river. They haven't captured her yet. Hope remains. Brick walked as fast as he could, ignoring his aching body, determined to try to help Beatru by whatever means possible. Perhaps he could create a diversion to buy her time to escape. It was an unrealistic long shot, but at the moment, It was the only plan he had. Just then, something in the sky caught his eye. It was Queen Cosma's personal escort, the massive black eagle known as Vega, and she was descending towards the river. Vega! Vega! exclaimed Brick joyously. Brick's heart soared. The arrival of Vega meant that Queen Cosma was back in play and that she'd escaped Myla the Enchantress. He watched as Vega got closer and closer to the river until she dropped below his field of view. He was still very far from the action, but he could now start to make out what Colonel Rise was shouting. Brick stopped abruptly in his tracks. He knew there were hundreds of firehorns. He shuddered at the sickening sound of hundreds of fireballs headed rapidly towards Vega. No! 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 
He watched in awe as Vega flew rapidly and majestically skyward with Beetru in her grasp. He felt a brief moment of relief before he saw the huge flash of the fireball explosion. In mere nanoseconds, the shockwave lifted Brick off the ground, tossing him violently backwards over the river, where his shell struck a large stone sticking several inches out of the river, cracking his shell and sending Brick careening in a large arc that ended on the opposite side of the river where he crashed, rolling end over end, coming to a stop upside down on his cracked shell, motionless. Part 2 For the first time since Beetru had passed through the egress into the wood and met Queen Kazuma, she was clean, well-fed, and fully hydrated. She was also well-rested. Kazuma had insisted she get nourishment and sleep before they spoke at any great length. And while this initially frustrated Beetru, she was more than happy to consume the wonderfully delicious vegetable soup and fruit salad provided to her by Cosma's two human assistants, Ama and Foyd, two polite women who had worked for the Queen for many years. After Vega had delivered Beetru to the cave entrance, the Queen had escorted her deep inside the mountain, using her bright golden eyes to light their way through a maze-like series of winding passages until they'd reached a massive hall every bit as large as the arenas back home where she went to see her favorite bands. The room was illuminated warmly by large glowing lanterns mounted on long poles that emitted golden light, just like Queen Cosma's golden eyes. Mounted into the upper walls were large stone heads, statues of twenty different Suryulian hinds spaced evenly from one side of the hall to the other in a line. In the center of the hall was a large fire pit. To the sides of the fire pit were two large tables, one rectangular with many chairs, the other a square with no chairs and a large map. Arma and Foyd had come from the left passage to greet Beetru and escort her down the same passage to a bedroom at the end of a long, dimly lit hallway. Arma was a middle-aged woman with a warm smile and gentle voice. She wore a modest, dark green robe. Foyd was much younger and much louder, but also sweet. She wore a sleek, white, elegant, formal robe and did most of the talking. The bedroom was lit with three small glowing lanterns mounted to the stone walls and held a large bed with big fluffy pillows, a dresser, and nightstand. There were no pictures or any decorations, but on the bed were a pair of dark green jeans, underwear, socks, and a gray long-sleeved t-shirt. There was also a washroom and tub adjacent to the bedroom. Not much to write home about in the Queen's Mountain stronghold, certainly not in the guest quarters, but everything is clean, and bathing in hot mountain spring water will warm the ache out of your bones, said Foyd with a big smile. Go clean up before the bathwater gets cold, said Amma. After two strange days spent dealing with talking animals and violent unicorns, it felt good to interact with people again. And Foyd was right. The spring water bath warmed the aches and pains out of Beetru's body. She got out, put on her new clothes, and went back into the bedroom. 
Floyd had set up a tiny table and chair along with her dinner and a large pitcher of water. She happily consumed everything on the table. She had no intentions of sleeping before talking to the queen, but after she'd eaten, she felt immensely sleepy and climbed onto the bed. I'll rest my eyes just for a few minutes, she said to herself. Within a few minutes, she was sound asleep. Now she was seated at the end of the large rectangular table in the large hall. She had been waiting for several minutes when the queen emerged from the passageway at the back of the hall and approached Beetru. Beetru, I trust you're well-fed, well-hydrated, and well-rested? asked the queen with a warm smile. Yes, Amma and Foyd have been amazing, your majesty. Cosima, my dear. We have so much to cover and so little time to do so. I'm going to ask for you to simply listen as best you can, for much of what I'm about to share with you will be very disturbing, said the queen as she sat down on her rear haunches, still towering several feet above Beetru. Some twenty years ago, two visitors arrived in purity from a different world and their arrival triggered a series of events that resonate to this very moment. Their arrival changed everything, and mostly for the worst. These visitors met with the late King Walter, the generous ruler of purity before the chairman assumed control. King Walter was also a dear friend of mine, and together we forged numerous trade agreements and shared ideals as well as resources. It was a great time of peace before the visitors arrived. Did you meet or know these visitors? asked Beetru. Yes, I knew them very well, actually. They had come seeking help in saving their world, something that King Walter was willing to provide. Unfortunately, the chairman and the dark scourge, who was then a young apprentice assisting the chairman, named Jax, were corrupted by the power of the visitor's quantum tunneler, the device they used to open the doorway between their world and this one. The enigmatic egress? asked Beetru. Yes, indeed. It seems Brick shared some of this story with you already. Yes, the enigmatic egress. What little I understood about the tunneler was that it harnessed something the visitors called exotic matter, which they said was pushed by gravity and quantum fluctuations. The tunneler harnessed and stabilized these fluctuations, tightened and focused them enough to create something they called a portal or wormhole through which they could pass from world to world. The science was above most everyone's head, save for the female visitor who invented the tunneler. Were these visitors humans? Yes, they were. The woman was a scientist, as was the man, but the woman was not happy about anything that was happening in purity. She knew the tunneler was too unrefined, too erratic and unstable, while the man, also a scientist, wanted to push forward into an agreement with King Walter to help save their planet from environmental collapse. But King Walter knew the risk was high, and that the tunneler posed a risk to our world here and insisted that the visitors return once the woman visitor felt the technology was stable. That's when things took a terrible turn for the worse. 
Beetroo could feel a sudden chill shoot down her spine. I sat there in that meeting in purity as trusted counsel to King Walter, with the King, Purity's team of scientists, the Chairman, Jax, and the two visitors. I saw the looks on the faces of the Chairman and Jax, and could tell neither of them had any intentions of allowing either of the visitors to leave. I watched as they whispered something to themselves while the King and the visitors discussed next steps. I also saw that the King's restraint and call for further research and development to stabilize the Tunneler was not only a huge disappointment to the Chairman and Jax, but also to the man. They all shared a similar look, a look of quiet rage. Beatrice was lost in thought, her brain raising and answering questions at a blistering pace. She looked up to Cosma, looked deep into her golden eyes. Cosma could see that Beatrice was putting things together quicker than she thought she would. Beatrice, the chairman and Jacks poisoned King Walter. This has always been crystal clear to me. I have maintained serious regrets for leaving that meeting that day because I knew in my heart that something wicked was afoot, but I never thought it would happen as it did or happen so quickly. By the time I arrived back to my kingdom in Medona, the deed was already done and the chairman assumed rule in purity. Beatrice leaned forward in her chair. This happened twenty years ago? Yes. Beatrice felt a mixture of both excitement as well as horror, and was scared to ask the next question because, really, she already knew the answer. Is there a significant difference in time between both our worlds? Yes, there is. For every one year in your world, ten years pass in this world. Beatrice could feel an overpowering sense of excitement building in her stomach and throughout her body her mind, and her heart. And yes, my dear, it was your parents who came through the enigmatic egress, despite your mother's pleas to your father. She was so worried about leaving you and your brother behind in coming to this world. And yes, they are still alive, and twenty years older, and being held captive in purity. They are alive because the Chairman needs their scientific knowledge to advance his technology in purity and in this world. And if we can move quickly and keep you from being caught, we may be able to save not only them, but both our worlds, before either the Chairman or Dark Scourge and their growing lust for power destroy everything. Part 3 Bricka woke upside down and in serious pain. He'd survived the shockwave, but not without serious injury. When he'd struck the rock in the river at such high velocity, it created a long crack in his shell, and the pain made it impossible for him to flip back over on his feet. It was now dark on the Great Plain, and from Brick's vantage point, the stars in the sky were below him. The effect made Brick feel dizzy, as did the loss of blood from being upside down the cracked shell. I'm doomed like this, thought Brick, wondering how long it would be before some wandering coyote or vulture began picking at him or eating him. This is no fate for a river turtle, he said to himself. Suddenly he heard footsteps coming from behind him. 
They were getting closer. Brick was frightened but also curious because they were human footsteps. Two feet, not four, and humans on the plane were a rare thing. Looks like you could use some help there, little fella, said a male voice Brick had never heard before. All at once, Brick felt himself being gently flipped back upright, but he was too weak to turn around to see who had come to his rescue. I don't know if you can talk like the other animals I've met to this point, but if you can, maybe you can help me. Rick watched as a young man came from behind him and got down on one knee to talk to him. He had light brown hair, brown eyes, and an outfit that was nearly identical to Beetroo's, blue sneakers, blue jeans, and a gray hoodie over a black t-shirt. Oh, wow, this is a serious crack on your shell. You need help, said the young man. I can try to help you, and maybe you can help me too. My name is Dante, and I'm looking for my little sister, Beetroo. I don't suppose you've seen her, asked Dante, hopefully. However did you find me out here, or know to come this way down the river, asked Brick. So you can talk, said Dante with a hopeful smile. I used my tracker until about five hours ago when it stopped working. Then I saw those crazy horses with their firepowers, and then that massive explosion, and now I'm just worried I've lost her forever. Brick smiled. No, I'm happy to report that she escaped the firehorns and the explosion from what I could tell. I was knocked out and tossed up here by the shockwave. I hit my shell in the process and I'm not even sure I can walk. But I saw her fly away with Vega just before the explosion. So you believe Beatrice alive? How do we get to her? I have to find her exclaimed Dante. That, my friend, will require a large amount of ingenuity. But if you can take me back to my den, which isn't too far from here, I think I can help us find her. She's with the queen, Queen Cosima. Queen who? asked Dante, as both he and Brick heard something stirring from down below near the river. Suddenly, walking slowly but with purpose, Colonel Rise trotted up from the riverbank and shot two tiny fireballs that struck Dante and Brick directly in the forehead, knocking both unconscious. Dante fell backwards on his back, and Brick's head fell an inch to the ground. Colonel Rise's coat was almost completely charred black. Somehow, he'd survived the explosion and lived to track down Brick and Dante. His laser green eyes held a searing rage as he leaned his head back slightly to fire a series of huge bright red flares up into the night sky that seemed to go beyond the highest mountain peaks. His signal for reinforcements. End of chapter six.